14 through 18 this morning. Before we go to God's Word, let's go to God in prayer, asking Him to speak to us and teach us through His Word. Let's pray together. Father God, we do ask that You would once again come down, that You would fulfill Your promise of being enthroned and present among our praises. We ask specifically, Lord, that You would come and open this Word up to us now, that You would give us truth by Your Holy Spirit for our growth, for our transformation. And we ask, Lord, that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's probably a a familiar sensation for many, if not most of you. The alarm clock goes off at oh dark 30. It's time to get up. It's time to go exercise. Time to go work out. You know, you want to be healthy and start the day off with exercise. Okay, so, and everything inside of you says what? Go back to sleep, right? And for me, personally, what goes through my mind is usually this conversation. Man, nighttime Sean made this decision. Morning Sean disagrees with this decision. In fact, morning Sean thinks nighttime Sean is a punk and needs to exercise himself and leave morning Sean alone. But eventually, after snoozing a couple times... You roll out of bed, and you get up, and you do what, you're, what you need to do. But of course, you've got to tell someone about it later, right? Man, I did not want to get up this morning. My alarm was going off so early. It's just human nature, isn't it? If something's difficult, if something's hard, if something goes against our grain, we've got to tell someone about how difficult it was. We've got to complain about it. Even if we like the results of whatever it is we're trying to do, if the process is challenging, we've got to let someone know we were challenged. We just don't feel right unless someone needs to know about this. And that tendency inside of all of us is exactly what Paul speaks about today. If you remember, or if you weren't here, let me remind you, last week we saw that effort, our actions, our Sweat, if you will, is part of us becoming more like Christ. That we participate in God's grace as we become more mature as Christians. We are made into Christians solely by God's grace, none of our effort. But once He puts us in His family, we work with God to grow and become more like Christ. All the while, we see God himself is the one who's working in us. He's working for his pleasure. He's happy to do so. And now Paul gives some specific instructions on what that actually looks like to work with God in our salvation or our sanctification. Excuse me. So would you look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. This is God's word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse, twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. And so we see here in this reading that 
God's grace creates an utterly different community which shines before a dark world. I want you to remember what we're going to talk about today. I want to kind of give you a theme. You can use this. Boys and girls, write this down in your yellow uh, notes here. Maybe at at family worship later this afternoon over lunch, you can remember. Here's what we're talking about today. It's this. Living out the gospel makes Christians weird. Yeah. Living out the gospel makes Christians weird. Some of you are like, that explains it. You see, in a complaining, competitive culture, Christians are content because of Christ. And that makes us weird. But let's look into that some more and see what we're talking about though. First of all, Paul tells us here that gospel people are shiny. Starts out pretty clear. He says, do all things without grumbling, without disputing. That sounds like a power play, doesn't it, to our ears? That sounds almost cultish, does it? Don't question, don't complain, don't dispute, just blindly follow along. But it's not quite that simple. The idea of grumbling here, the word that he uses, actually means the idea of kind of whispering secrets. Talking about someone who's not there. Talking about but not to someone. Complaining or disputing is it's making negative comments. Arguing, being divisive, almost trying to create a problem. See, Paul's not trying to establish a cult here. This command is about the secret gossip, is the word we would use, about back-talking ordained leaders. It's about the unity-destroying gossip and arguing that undermines God's church. Paul instead calls them to be a radically different kind of people. But as we saw already, part of our human nature is we want to complain and we want to argue. And if things in a group that we're part of aren't going away, we particularly like, it's very hard for us to submit humbly to leadership if we think it should go in a different direction. We gossip. We try to undermine. It's fallen human nature. We all do it. But see, Paul is addressing those who've been transformed by the gospel. Those who no longer have to operate exclusively out of the fallen nature, but they can operate out of the redeemed nature. Thus, complaining and gossip are not so much about our mouths as much as they are about our heart and how we are responding to God's grace in our life. The way we speak reveals our heart, in other words. Our speech is a window into our souls. In context, what I'm saying is this, what Paul is saying is this, if we are gossipy complainers, it shows that we are still struggling to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, comma, because we don't quite get it yet. See, when you see a Christian complaining, it doesn't matter what the issue is. We are saying God is not doing this right. Our grumbling and our complaining reveal what we think we deserve. Something that God is not doing correctly that we need to change it. Let's do a little mental exercise. I want you to stop and think right now. I mean, we all complain. Let's just own that. What is it that we are most prone to complain about in the church? Just stop and think about it for a second. 
that complaint shows your deepest desire, most likely. It reveals the way you think that God should be but is not doing something among this group. And it reveals that you think God is holding out instead of being gracious. This is why Paul brings this up at this point. He's talking about unity in the congregation. He's talking about working out their salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing God works with them. And he's saying, look, you cannot come candidly and worship God if you are over here thinking, yeah, but you're not doing right in this area, God. You you need to shape up over in this area. That's why I complain and dispute, because it's not right and you need to fix it. You can't have those two things. You can't worship and have that. Because complaining dishonors God. Complaining questions His lordship. It disrupts His church. Here's how we put it for the boys and girls. Boys and girls, take out your big yellow things. We can follow this together. Here's what Paul is trying to say. He talked to them last week about how they need to exercise their faith. And now look with me at your verse 14. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, As God exercises you to be more like Jesus... Don't whine about it. Yeah, that's what he's saying. As God is exercising you, don't whine about it. You know, boys and girls, I have a friend in St. Louis, and she has this funny sign in her kitchen. It says this. It says the 11th commandment. And right under it, it says, thou shalt not whine. That's kind of funny. But that's what Paul is telling Christians, boys and girls. He's saying that when things aren't going exactly as you would like, Instead of whining about it, we should do what we do with mom and dad. We should say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Instead of whining and questioning and complaining. I can get away talking to the boys and girls like that, but adults, that would work for y'all really well too, just so you know. Because complaining reveals our hearts. It's a spiritual issue. It's a failure to trust God and to submit to his will. Now, in case you think I'm getting a little carried away, I want you to remember your Old Testament. I want you to remember one of the many sins of the people of Israel. It was in Exodus 17. It was roughly a month, a month after God had split the Red Sea, miraculously delivered them on dry land. Within a month, they began to to complain and grumble. In fact, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, which the Philippian church would have been reading, Exodus 17, it uses this exact same phrase. They grumbled and they disputed with Moses about God not taking good enough care of them. A month after the parting of the Red Sea. And God punished them for it. See, Paul is telling these Philippians here, don't make the same mistake by whining and complaining about God's care of you. Remember last week, again, we saw verses 12 and 13 where Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, comma, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's in the context of that working out. He says, don't grumble and complain. That's one of the big ways you work out your salvation, that you grow in Christ is you don't complain when things don't go your way. You see, they want... In the Philippian church, what they were doing is they wanted to sit back. They wanted to stay selfish. They wanted to keep gossiping, keep complaining, and say something along the lines of, well, we're Christians. We're under grace. We get to let go and let God, and we'll be godly whenever. 
he'll, and he'll turn us into a unified church at some point. But Paul says, no, you have to work and sweat at becoming more like Christ and becoming a unified church. And it starts, Paul says here in verse 14, when Christians take that seriously and say, you know what, I'm not going to complain. Even when there's reason, I'm not going to gossip. Even when I want to. That's when it starts. That is working out your salvation. You see, it's bigger than just us and our tongues. It's not just about us. Verse 15 is actually the idea of purpose. Verse 14 sets up the rule because we want verse 15 to happen, in other words. Look with me at verse 15. What does Paul say? He says, That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Here's what's going on here. I love Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. I have been to the 8th Street Pharmacy Museum in Waco, Texas, where Dr. Pepper was invented that glorious God-ordained day. I I love it. But you know what? I will not drink Dr. Pepper with ice cubes in it. If If it's too hot, I will let it get cold. You know why? Because ice is water, people. Do you pour water into your drinks? Ew, it dilutes it, it waters it down, and it makes it not as good. And that's what Paul is saying here. The word he uses here for pure is actually the word for undiluted, unwatered down. He's saying, look, pure, undiluted, unwatered down Christians don't complain and gossip. When Christians talk just like everybody else in the world talks, full of complaints, full of personal attacks about people, negative feelings about what's going on in their life, We've lost our difference with the world. We are watered down children of God at that point. And a watching world ignores us. This is not just on an individual level. I want you to think about the incredibly rapid shift in our culture away from a common Christian-based morality. And it's happened so fast, it seems, And I think it's happened so fast because of what we've been talking about. Paul didn't tell the New Testament church to go and stand against emperor worship. Paul did not tell the New Testament church to go and stand against the rampant child abandonment that was culturally acceptable. He did not tell them to go and stand against the unbelievable sexuality that surrounded the Roman culture. Instead, he told them to be unified by the power of the gospel working in their lives. He did not tell them to withdraw and to make sure the culture knows how much Christians don't like those sinners out there acting like sinners. He told them to be different from those people out there by not grumbling and not complaining. Because that's how everybody treats everybody else. See, we Christians stand out when we are different. Those New Testament Christians, they obeyed and they destroyed that pagan Roman culture. And so as a new paganism is rising up in America as the dominant culture, verse 14 and 15 are for us right now in America. Our complaining about the sinners out there has failed. Our arguing about the sinners out there 
has failed. Our snarky, sarcastic Facebook posts about our opponents has failed to change anybody's mind because we sound just like them. There's a better way to confront our dying culture than our complaining and arguing. Let's look at the rest of verse 15. Paul tells us, starting after the word a generation, he says what? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Or a more little translation, you are shining as beacons to the world. See, before GPS, before compasses, people use the stars to navigate. And Paul says that pure, unwatered-down Christians, the kind who don't gossip and who don't complain, are like heavenly stars in a dark world, guiding people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's actually what he says there. He says, our choosing not to gossip, our choosing not to complain makes us beacons to a dark world. He says, this is how you find Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Boys and girls, I want you to see this too. Look with me at your verse 15. Here's what Paul says. He says, that way, y'all prove to be pure, real children of God. Since y'all are in a sick, dark country, y'all will shine like stars in the night. You see, boys and girls, gospel people are shiny. When we follow God's instructions, we are showing people what Jesus is like. And they're going to want to follow that. Unwatered down, non-complaining Christians are the stars that lead others to the forgiveness of Christ. I want to be candid with you. As I was studying this passage, I just kept thinking, are you kidding me? Paul has the audacity to say that our main tool for evangelism The big deal that will change Orangeburg for the gospel is not all our work to build homes, as great as that is. It's not our going on a short-term mission trip and coming back with people who are changed and who are on fire for the gospel, as cool as that is going to be. It's not our laboring to host 185 kids for four days, as awesome as that was. No. Paul says our main way to see the gospel move in our city is to stop complaining Seriously? Which is kind of a complaint if you think about it. Ironical, I know. See, when we stop complaining, when we stop gossiping about each other, when we obey God joyfully, when we work out our salvation, we shine as stars, beacons, we could translate it, in a dark world and the world will pay attention because a transformed life has always been the greatest advertisement for the gospel. Can I just say it as a native southerner to other southerners? Refusing to complain and whine, refusing to gossip about others will make us so incredibly different from the culture in which we were born people will notice. It's our joyful, 
thankful, enthusiastic, grateful lives that cause folk to hear our evangelistic words. Do you think about that? It is our joyful, thankful, enthusiastic, grateful lives which cause people to hear our evangelistic words. See, in a world where everybody complains, where everybody grumbles, God's people are shiny. Living out the gospel makes Christians weird. And curious people will ask you, why are you so weird? But there's another thing Paul says that makes Christians weird. He says gospel pastors are proud. You know, going verse by verse through the scripture gets us to places that if I randomly chose them, they would seem remarkably self-serving. However, this is just the next verse, and I didn't write it, so we're going there. Let's remember the context here is encouragement. The work out your salvation with fear and trembling, comma, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's that context. What does that look like? It's God's pleasure to make us more like Christ, he says. Paul tells them that undiluted Christians, hear this, Paul says here, unwatered down Christians are actually a gift given to Jesus Christ by God who's working in them and by the pastors whose God is using. Pastors get to give their churches to Christ as a gift. The elders get to give churches to Christ as a gift. The deacons get to give cared for churches to Christ as a gift. In other words, God is happy to make Christians more mature so they can be gifts to the Savior. And he does that through his ordained leadership of deacons, elders, and pastors. In this verse, it's especially pastors. See, Paul is telling his dear friends that when they face difficulty, when the unity of the church is threatened and they must exercise humility like Christ, when they refuse to complain about their leaders, and when they refuse to gossip about others, it shows Paul that the hours and years that he has invested in them in ministry is actually bearing fruit. He sees that he did not work in vain. See, Paul, along with every other pastor, gets to have a little bit of pride when the Christians under their care bear fruit. I mean, when there's a problem in the church, when we hear of a potential problem, and the elders are hunkered down, we've prayed through it, we've done everything we can, we're like, okay, we're ready. It should happen any second now. And then it's actually no big deal. People kind of just roll with it. There's still peace in the body. There's no grieving the Holy Spirit by grumbling and, and gossiping. Man, it is so gratifying. It is awesome. And there is a very parental feeling of, I am just so proud of y'all. That's great. That's what Paul is saying here. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse. We're going to pick up the second half of verse 15 so you can get this in verse 16. Since y'all are in a sick, dark country, y'all will then shine like stars in the night when y'all faithfully follow God's instructions. When y'all do that, I'll be so proud and Jesus will see that I was a good pastor. That's what Paul is saying. I know it sounds very weird to our ears, does it, for Paul to actually say his pride and, so, and feeling of accomplishment should be part of our motivation. I didn't write it. It is. Don't complain about it. Okay. There we go. Thank you. Get there faster. You see, when we get 
when pastors get to see that what we're doing is not in vain, it makes us proud. But why does it make us proud? Because we're seeing God is actually working. His promises are true, and it's great encouragement to us, and it's beautiful fruit for you. But there's more. I want to remind you about a famous verse, uh, James 3, 1. Let me read it to you. It says this. James is instructing that church, and he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There is a greater judgment for pastors in these matters. If a pastor labors and labors and there's no fruit, there is a sense in which he has to answer for that. And so Paul says here, again, in a way that sounds very odd to our ears, Paul basically says, if you love me, you will live in a way that will honor me before Jesus Christ. Because Jesus will see that my life then honored him. Here's how that matters to you right now, since the non-pastors outnumber the pastors in the room. Your life can honor Jesus too. Public worship is vital. What we're doing right now is absolutely essential to your Christian growth. But Paul reminds us as well that the fruit of our lives is also worship unto God. Our fruitfulness, our being Christ-like, brings God pleasure, according to verse 13. So in spite of our sin, in spite of our failures, God's grace gives us power to do what he commands. To be an odd community of non-complainers, God's grace will give us the ability to do that. And it brings him glory and worship when we do that today. So even in a difficult post-Christian culture, We hold fast to being a different type of community because God gives us the strength to do it. And he does it because it makes him happy to do so. And we want our lives to worship our great God and creator, even in the midst of a culture that doesn't know him. Because living out the gospel like that makes Christians weird. And in that weirdness, we get to be beacons that lead people to Christ. So... God's people are shiny, gospel pastors are proud, and now gospel prisoners are cheerful. Another weirdness about us. Paul has just told them he's proud of them, and now he uses himself as an example to show them what that looks like. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison, and yet, if you look over chapter 1 and most of chapter 2 so far, Paul has been teaching joy, joy, joy. And he says, instead of complaining... Remember what God has done for you in Christ and rejoice. Boys and girls, look at me at your verse 17. Here's a great way to put this. Paul says this. Look, I know it's easier to whine, but look at me. Even if God has me die in this jail, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to rejoice. You see, boys and girls, Paul trusts God. He says God can do what he wants with me. Paul will worship God regardless. That's what he's saying. Because Paul lives a life of worship unto God. So instead of complaining, he rejoices. If God wants Paul to die in that prison, then Paul is happy to do so. Because his life is being poured out before God and his church. So Paul is saying, look, my imprisonment is really for the sake of y'all. I'm taking one for the team 
and I'm going to do it without complaining. I'm going to do it with gladness and joy. He's not going to complain. He's not going to say, I'm unjustly in prison. I shouldn't be here. I can't be the apostle I'm supposed to be. What's God doing? He's not going to complain. He's rejoicing to be right in the middle of God's will. And Paul is praying that his cheerful obedience as a prisoner for God's grace will be the same kind of cheerfulness for them in their struggles. See, they are growing in obedience. They're becoming more unified even in the midst of trials. And by them doing that, they have to actually sacrifice their deepest desires. Because remember, we complain about our deepest desires. So what Paul is saying is you sacrifice that to God and then you live humbly without complaining. And God receives that as a sacrifice. Just like Paul's imprisonment is a sacrifice unto God. And they should rejoice that they get to sacrifice instead of complaining. And that's only possible because the power of the gospel to change them. For God's grace to make them more like Christ. See, Paul has already shown this. If you remember from chapter 1, he's already shown that his rejoicing as a prisoner made him so weird that the guards were like, what is up with you, Paul? You're weird. And what did he say? He goes, almost the entire imperial guard has heard the gospel because of that. So Paul's rejoicing. My weirdness has been a testimony. Because he was so different. And you know what, Trinity? We can be different too. The gospel makes us different. Those rooted in the love of God for sinners through Christ Jesus makes us different. And that difference is a beacon of light to a twisted dark world on how to find new life in Christ. Oh, dear flock, if we want the gospel to spread here in Orangeburg, Learning a new gospel presentation will help. Praying up and being confident to share your faith will help. Getting out of the Christian ghetto that we're often in and actually meeting non-Christians will really help. But you know what will help more than anything else? When we are so fundamentally different as a community that people see peace They see love, they see joy, they see unity, and they think to themselves, no one else in my life has anything close to that. Everybody I know grumbles, complains, gossip is negative. I want to be part of a community like that. How do I have peace? How do I have joy? How do I have happiness and be people like y'all? Where did you get it and how do I get some? Oh, if something like that hasn't happened to us in a long time, we need to hold a mirror up to our church and say, are we different from everybody else or are we just exactly the same? Or has Jesus Christ actually changed us and made us weird? So as we wrap this up, there's hope. Here's the hope. Living out the gospel makes Christians weird. And so I am not going to scream verse 14 at you. Instead, I'm going to step back and let's ask a different question. Let's take a different approach. Let's confront the foolishness inside each and every one of us. Are you ready? Here we go. Quit being so scared of being different. And recognize that if you're in Jesus Christ, you are different. So embrace it instead of being scared by it. And then be exceedingly joyful that you get to be different. 
Because the love of God implanted in you by faith in Jesus Christ makes you completely weird to a world that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Instead of being scared to be different, embrace your difference. Instead of being the boring, complaining, gossiping attenders that are in every single church, by the power of God working in us, we could actually be shiny, happy people. Beacons of light guiding people to Jesus Christ because we are so different. It's so simple, isn't it? It sounds too simplistic, doesn't it? That by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God the Father, so the name of Jesus Christ will be spread, we simply refuse to gossip and complain, and it messes Orangeburg up for the gospel. Living out the gospel makes Christians weird. What if we actually believed and acted on that? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that by your grace you have changed us. That it was not that we saw the light and came to you, but rather, Lord, you shone a spotlight into our darkness and told us to come this way. And Lord, we admit that we very often are not that spotlight to others for we are just like them. Would you forgive us, Lord? Would you forgive us for thinking that we publicly honor you by making sure people know what we're against instead of making sure that people know that we're different because of you? Lord, would you help us to believe your word? Even now, by your spirit, would you disrupt our nature that wants to complain and gossip and argue and be negative? Would you break us all of that, that we may humbly follow you and then be the beacons to a dark world? Would you help us to see, Lord, that we are your gift to a dark world, that your church is supposed to be the beacon of light showing people Christ? Would you help us, Lord, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we don't have the strength to do this, but we trust your word that says that you will work in us to will and to work for your own good pleasure. How would you do that, Father? Would you make us weirdos for your gospel? And would you help us to believe that? Oh, in Jesus' name. Amen.